0: Well, again, it's good to be together this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you to find your uh, Bible, find a Bible and a uh, uh, comfortable spot, and we're going to spend a few minutes together. Uh, looking at the story of Moses again in Exodus. And uh, I'm going to ask Abby to come, and she's going to read for us a passage that Jason and Lexi shared with us two weeks ago when they were here talking about uh, the words of one of the Old Testament prophets. These prophets were men that spoke for God, uh, reminding them of the people of God's presence and truth and His his power in their lives, especially when life was difficult. And so these words come to us from uh, Isaiah the prophet.
1: But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end, because I am God, your personal God.
0: Now, these words were written to the Jewish people uh, f- thousands of years ago and met them right where they were, the promises that they needed in the difficult situation they were in, and, and they were given to those people. But they're examples to us today uh, of the God that we serve. The uh, New Testament tells us about this same God that is with us, and, and nothing can separate us from him. And this is an example for us. And so the question that comes to my mind this morning is, have, have you ever been in rough waters Have you ever been between a rock and a hard place? Um, You know, the decision to do church online this morning, uh, for many of us leaders, we felt like we were between a rock and a hard place. It's a difficult decision to make. And I'm just so thankful that God is with us in the midst of this uh, and that he's guiding us forward. God told the people that when they are in those places, he is with them. He is for them. He will hold them. He is our personal God. I'm so glad that Lexi talked about that a few weeks ago. And I'm here this morning to remind you that God is with you as well. He is where you're at right now in this room with us. He is with us, carrying us forward. Our story this morning is from Exodus 14. And we spent uh, several weeks in Exodus. Exodus 2, we we read about Moses, how he was born and saved from death. Exodus 3, when he tried to start his own little rebellion against Egypt and then had to run for his life. Uh, Chapter 7, where Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and said, you've got to let the people of God go. You've got to give them freedom from slavery. And the plagues began, these 10 terrible things that God was using to wake Pharaoh up. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the Passover, that last plague. And then last Sunday, Nate talked about as the people moved into the wilderness and they needed food and water, that God provided what was needed in those times. And now this morning, we come to Exodus 15, and we see the people leaving Egypt, leaving Pharaoh, heading out into the wilderness. And they've got a big hurdle that's in front of them in this first passage. So look at Exodus 14. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 5 through 14. Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. And they said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Phi-Hathroth, opposite baal Zephon. So here we see Pharaoh, and he's doing what he's done throughout this story. He's changing his mind. Often when these hardships, these plagues came on him, uh, he would say, okay, Moses, that's it. Take the people. You can go. And then as soon as God would remove the hardship. Whatever that plague was, uh, Pharaoh would change his mind and say, forget it. No, you've got to stay. And he's doing it again here. He's waking up and he's saying, hey, we've let all of these people go, our workforce. We've got to go track them down and bring them back. And the text here tells us that it was a heart issue for Pharaoh. It was something with his heart, the hardness in his heart. The passage says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and this is an interesting thing for us to dig into, to, to think about, the heart of Pharaoh. Uh, because in the story, we're told in the first five plagues, it, it describes Pharaoh's heart as already being hard, or that he hardened his own heart against God, which means he wanted to oppose God. So there is a stubbornness in his heart, a hardness that God would not, he would not allow God to move and transform his heart in any way. The last five plagues, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so people who care about what the Bible says and want to understand it. They ask questions like, well, did Pharaoh have free will? Or did God create evil in Pharaoh's heart? And people have written about that. I want to encourage you to do some of your own work on that question. What I want to say about it is that whatever you cultivate in your heart, it will eventually grow either good or evil on the outside. What we focus on, what we think about, what we give our affection toward will either bring glory or groans It will either bring beautiful, light things, or it will bring darkness and pain. It matters what we focus our hearts on, what we allow ourselves to reflect on, what we give our time to. It has an effect on us. Pharaoh's heart was trending towards hardness. And God did not slow that down. He allowed it to continue to harden. And and the evil and the darkness in Pharaoh's heart was contrasted with the brilliance and the glory of the good things that God had for his people, for the Israelite people. So let's go back to the text here in chapter 14, verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Why was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Did we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. These people are scared, and they see no way through the, ter- the terrible army they see coming at them. In verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, he said. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still and allow him to fight. The people see this army coming, and fear rises up in their hearts. They say it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Notice they don't say and maybe die in the desert or we might die here in the desert. They've already allowed their imaginations to be informed by their fear and they're as good as dead. Last Sunday, Nate shared other stories where we see the people of Israel complaining and fearful of what might be, what could happen. Their fear grows because they can only imagine the hardships getting harder. They can't imagine that their God, their rescuer, is there with them and he's going to make a way. They can only see the terror. Fear is really an interesting emotion in this way. It seems to come on us and capture us. We're told earlier in Exodus that the people of God have the sea behind them and the army of Pharaoh coming for them and they're trapped between this rock and a hard place like we just read in Isaiah 42. They feel vulnerable and stuck in a dead end. Fear comes from our thoughts of what might be. Maybe not what's going to happen, but what could happen. We begin to imagine what might happen tomorrow or next week. And when we're not in a place with God where we see him at work, fear tends to fill our hearts. It fills us. Like, just like thoughts pop into our heads, fear can pop into our heads. We see bad things coming, and we begin to feel afraid, and we get to decide how we're going to respond to that fear. What are we going to do when it comes on us? Last spring, one of my kids was in a car accident. I was having lunch with my mom and my sister about an hour from home, and my phone rang, and... and I picked it up, and my kids said, Dad, I was just in a terrible car accident. She was crying. She was uh, distraught. She was uh, just, you know, weeping. And and she says, I I hit my head. There's blood everywhere. And I said, well, has someone called 911? Have you called 911? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, hang up and call 911. And so she hung up with me, and I looked at my mom and my sister, and I said, I got to go. Uh, She's been in an accident. And I jumped in the car, and I began that hour drive back to Arvada. And as soon as I was in the car and driving, I began to think, What's happening to her? What's happening to my kid? I began to wonder, and and, and that fear came on me. And I had a choice of how I was going to respond to that fear, so I just began to talk to God. And I said, I don't know what's going on with her right now. you got to be with her, be present, take care of her. Let me know. I need to know what's going on. Help me know what's going on. And I feel like the minute I thought that, kind of lifted it up to God, my phone rang, and it was a police officer on the scene. And he said, I just want you to know your daughter's fine. She's in the back of the ambulance. I'm here with her. Do you want to talk with her? And he put her on the phone, and I was able to talk with her. And, and she was okay. She was going to be all right. She had to get five stitches in her head, but she was okay. And God met me in that midst of that fear, and he said, I'm with you. I'm with her. She's going to be okay. Fear is this emotion that anticipates pain and hurt. It's based on what could happen, what might be. The people of God saw the sea They saw the army. They could just see what was happening around them. They did not see that God was with them. And so Moses, into their fear, Moses says these words, verse 13 and 14, he says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see here, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. You are afraid, he says, Don't be afraid. Choose to stand. Choose to be firm. Choose to be still. Moses was saying, I see the army too. I see the water behind us. It looks like a dead end. It is not. What you see in front of you is not the only thing happening in this moment. It's not all that's at work. God is here as well. He is fighting for us. He will bring us through this. You will find out it is not a dead end. The people see and they're afraid. Moses sees, and he is not afraid. What made the difference between their experiences? Well, Moses was aware of something that they could not see, the presence of God, the one true God that was active and working and fighting. And so Moses says, be still, wait for God to act. Wait for God to do what he can do. And instead of filling that waiting with fear, fill it with trust, that he is able, that he is on the move that he will deliver and shelter you. This stillness that Moses talks about here, it's a word that carries with it the idea of of the waiting we do when we make plans. When we set up a a new project or we start to plan on a a new house or a new vacation or something else that's coming up, a a relationship that we want to see develop, and we start to make plans for that to happen, there comes a point where you've done everything you can do in the planning and you just have to wait. That's the kind of word this is when Moses says, be still. It has the idea of like a seed that you might plant in the ground. You've prepared the soil. You've found a, a good place. You've put the seed in the soil. You've watered it. And now you have to wait and allow the seed to grow and develop, to do what only it can do. You can do what you can do. And then you have to wait and allow God to move. This moment with Moses, the people, with Pharaoh's fury and God's ability, it takes me to Psalm 46. And so I'm going to ask Abby to read again from Psalm 46 some of the passages that come to mind in this story.
1: God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.
0: Be still and know that I am God. Know it. Know that he is present. When life doesn't make sense to us, when we see trouble coming over the horizon, when the storms of life are heading our way, we don't just see the storm We see God, we know God, that he is here, that he is active. He is our refuge and our strength and our shelter. When it looks like everything is being torn apart, it is God that holds the mountain together. It is God that contains the sea. He is our fortress. I used to go uh, backpacking with my dad when I was a kid. We lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and we'd head out into the Smoky Mountains, and we'd go backpacking for a couple days. And the first few times we did that, first few summers, my dad, he didn't have a tent. He was too cheap to buy a a real tent. So he had two tarps and some rope. And he'd put one of the tarps on the ground, and then he would rope up a little tarp, Ceiling above us and that's what we would sleep on overnight. I mean just critters could run right through Uh, It was full access to us I remember it would rain sometimes and I'd wake up in a puddle But as a little kid, it didn't really freak me out that much because my dad was there I could sleep through the night But my dad he later would tell me that those times under those tarps He never slept through the night. He would wake up every hour or so every rustle in the branches every leaf he heard turn over he would wake up and just make sure we were okay it was after a couple summers, he finally got the money together to buy a real tent. And we used that tent. He told, told me that the first time we were out in that, fir- that tent, he slept through the night all the way through. He didn't wake up once. Those tarps were a, a poor shelter, a flimsy refuge. And when we had a real tent to sleep in, he said he felt at peace. He felt like things were going to be okay. When your thoughts move you towards fear... Where will you find shelter? Will you settle for a tarp? Because there's something much better than a tarp. There are many places that we can find help in this life. When things get difficult, there are resources and organizations and classes and books and all sorts of things we can encounter that can help us. And they're good things. God can certainly speak through them and help us in the midst of our hard days. But our best shelter... The real refuge we are seeking, it is found in God alone, in his power, in his presence, in his words. Instead of coming to God as a last resort, we can embrace him as our first response. Instead of coming to God as a last resort, we can embrace him as our first response. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. This is the truth. This is the way for us. It's the way of Jesus. We see Jesus living this way in the New Testament, and the stories about Jesus were told that he would often go off to quiet places. In the New Testament, it was the wilderness. It was the desert, places where he could be still and be with his God. We know of at least five times that this happened in his life when he found those quiet places He found that solitude before he began his public ministry. For 40 days, he was alone in the wilderness. After his friend John died, he found a quiet place. Before naming the 12 disciples, he had a night of solitude with God. When they came back from their first mission, um, out on their own, this is where we read in Mark 6, where Jesus said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We're told that he helped them find that quiet. And then just before his death, again, he found place to be with God alone. He needed that time to seek and to be still and to find the presence of his father, to refocus his heart, to reaffirm his purpose, to check his motives. Fear could have confined Jesus to what he could see physically, but he kept his eyes on his father God And there is a way we can practice this kind of stillness, a way that we can practice so when the fear comes rolling in, we don't respond like we see the people in this story that were stuck between the sea and the army. We don't have to respond that way. We can practice so that when hardship comes, we have a different kind of response. And that practice is is a spiritual discipline that people have used for thousands of years. It's called solitude, finding times of solitude where we can sit and be still and allow the presence of God to remind us that he is good and faithful and that he is with us. Solitude is a way of practicing so that when fear comes on us, we are ready to be still and to allow God to fight for us. I remember the first time I had a chance to have a a period of solitude. I was working at a church in Minnesota, and my pastor said, Nate, I want you to take a 24-hour retreat, he called it. 24 hours on your own, by yourself, in solitude. He told me about a campground in, in Wisconsin where they had little houses where you could go and reserve the house and be alone for a period of time. And he said, I want you to do it for 24 hours. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do for 24 hours? He said, I just want you to take your Bible. This was before Wi-Fi and cell phones and all that. So I was like, I had my Bible and myself, and I went to this place. And I got there about one o'clock in the afternoon, and I said, what am I gonna do? So I did everything I could think to do. I read the Bible, I went for a walk, I took a nap, I ate some food. It was about three hours had passed. And now it was four o'clock, and I still had 20 hours to go. And I just didn't know what I was gonna do. I muddled my way through the next 20 hours, and I headed home, and Ted said to me, my pastor Ted, he said, how'd it go? I said, That was terrible. I hated that. I just sat there. I did nothing. I felt useless. I didn't know what to do. It was boring. And he said, that's okay. said, let's do it again. Why don't you do it again? He said, take a couple months, but I want you to do it again now. He was my boss, so I said, okay. It was actually about the third time I did a time of solitude like that, a 24-hour retreat that I was sitting. After the night, it was the next morning, probably like 9 or 10 in the morning, I was sitting just still with God, talking to Him, listening for Him. And it was one of the first times when I felt Him really put something on my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but the Spirit of God just laid something on my spirit. And what I sensed Him saying to me in that moment was, Nate, it's nice that you're doing all this good stuff. I know that you're working really hard, that you're doing all these things for me. He said, but I love you when you're just sitting with me, when you're just still. When you're just quiet, I love you just as much when you're sitting here as when you're doing all that work. And all that work, you think you're doing it for me? I want to do it with you. I don't want you doing it for me. I want you with me, doing it with me. And in this moment, in this stillness, I want you to know that I love you no matter what. And I began to see that in the solitude, in the quiet, God is present. I began to practice the presence of God, uh, the, the glory of God, just being with him. That's what solitude can do for us. We all need these spaces in our life where we're simply with God. And it might be this time when we're together on Sunday morning, either at home, watching online, or together in the building. We need these times together to remind ourselves that God is present, that he is real, that he is with us. But it also might be other times when you can create these times to practice solitude. Now, you might say to me, Nate, you don't know my life. I I got a busy life. I've got kids. I got schedules. I I can't take 24 hours away. Uh, Let me just say a couple things to you. First, solitude can be practiced in five minutes a day. While you're driving to work, during your lunch break, after you get home from school, instead of turning on the screen, going for a walk or sitting on the back porch, take five minutes just to be still and invite God to speak and just be with him. It doesn't take long to practice solitude, to practice stillness. And also, I want to say that the things that are important to you, you'll make time for. If something is valuable to you, you will make a way for it to happen. So look out a little ways. Look, at, look into January. Pick a Saturday in January and say, I'm going to take a day to be still, a day of solitude. Set it aside now. Don't let anything take it from you. Create a day of solitude. Have friends or family take care of the kids. Don't let you know, projects around the house come on. Make sure that you've got that day. And then when it comes, I, I mean, if you need ideas of places to go, things to do, I can help you with that. We can help you find different areas where you can find that stillness and that solitude. But take the time to sit with God And allow him to remind you that he loves you no matter what, that he is with you, especially when you can't see him. He is with you. Practicing being still is important, and it can remind us that God is fighting for us in ways that would surprise us. Scott McKnight is an author and a theological teacher, and and he writes in a book called Jesus Creed about our struggles. He says, when we struggle in faith and waiting on God and centering on God in our worship, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus has done each of these things for us. Our weak trust, our failure to wait on God, our blurred worship are all swallowed up in Jesus. And Jesus is perfect trust, patience, and worship. It is Jesus that lives this life through us. He will help us learn how to be still, how to be patient, how to worship. This is why we need to learn how to sit with God and allow Him to to work on our behalf, to slow down and allow him to do the work only he can do, to find the peace that only he can bring. This new life we have is given to us. It is not earned. It is not worked for. It is placed over us and through us and around us. It doesn't get created by us. It has been given to us because of Jesus. And while we wait, while we are still, the life of Jesus is, is lived into us and we find a way to see God. The people waiting on the shore, they saw the army coming, and God fought for them. He showed up. Some of us know the story. That sea that was blocking them in, it opened up. God made a way through the sea, and the people walked on dry ground into the wilderness, into the place of moving towards the promised land. And once they had made it through, God rolled that water back behind them, and they were safe. It felt like an end. They had lost hope. They could only see their death, but God led them toward life and hope and the land of promise. Moses said, these Egyptians that you see, you will never see them again. What is it in your life this morning that you see that might cause fear to rise up in you? Is there a relationship? Is there a diagnosis? Is there a job or a friend or something that is causing you to become anxious or to worry you're imagining what could be. And God says to you this morning, that thing that's causing you to fear, I'm going to take care of it. You will never see it again. Trust me. I am faithful and good. God is leading us be still and know that he is God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up and they're going to close us with the song and and as they come let's let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you are good and faithful. We are thankful that you are here with us right now in our homes, here in this building. And Lord, you know that our Hillcrest community, that it's hard for us not to be together this morning. That we want to do things that honor you. We want to be part of what you're doing in our community and in our lives together. And so Father, this morning is just a different kind of morning. We know that you can use it for your glory and for your goodness. And we just proclaim, Father, this morning that that we are not afraid, that you are good and faithful, that we believe you are fighting for us, and we hold on to that truth. And as we move into this new week, we are thankful that you will bring us back together again next Sunday, that you will continue to bring healing and hope, and we trust you for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.